Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we do this show because we want Mormons and polygamists to question their doctrine and to question the source of their doctrine. If you're in Mormonism, especially Mormon polygamy, we challenge you to dare to doubt, and then when you doubt, work on it to check it out. And also, if you or anyone you know needs help getting out of a polygamous situation, you can give us a call. We can help, and we do help those who want to escape polygamy. We do provide a safe place for you to go, and everything that we do is done in strict confidentiality. If you have any questions about this, or if you would like to uh, find out what we can do to help you get out, you can call our toll-free number, which is 877 425-9993. And for those who would like to make any comments about our show or have any questions about it, you can email us, email at whatloveisthis.tv, or you can call us if you have questions about the show at 385-240-2888. Now, the 800 number is for those who want to leave polygamy or have questions about leaving that we can answer for you. And the 385 number are for the, is for those who would like to make comments or questions about our show. And now uh, I would like to introduce our co-host who is with us again, Earl Erskine. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here again and (laughs) being involved in these discussions that we have. Very interesting. Kind of spill over from Mormonism to fundamentalism back and forth very frequently. All all from the same root. Same Same root, exactly. Now, I'd like to say that we pre-tape our shows. And the date that we're taping this show is September 17th, just two days after the flash floods in Hilldale, Utah, that killed so many uh, people in that polygamous town. We want our polygamous viewers to know that we have prayed and are praying for you and for the families of the victims. And we pray for God's grace and for his comfort to be poured out abundantly on the the families of the victims and on the town and on all the people that somehow he would bring good out of this tragedy. It's been reported that this has been the deadliest flash flood disaster in all of Utah's history. Twelve women, and I think they found more since um, yeah, since I think I've heard that. Between that and Zion's, it was over 20, about 20 people that wow. have lost their lives. And, and as far as I know, as we're talking now, uh, one child was still missing. I haven't heard that they found that no, child in so. the in the uh, community, yeah. the Hilldale community. Now, I don't want to minimize this tragedy in any way, but I can't help but wonder if the residents of Hilldale, Utah, this polygamous community, had had access to radio or television and weather forecasts, uh, that they may have been warned in advance, and maybe the about this flash flood warning, because they do have warnings in the weather forecast, yeah. and that maybe this disaster may not have happened, or maybe at least it wouldn't have been so tragic. Do they not have? I mean, the, they do TV or the, internet at all. The the Warren Jeffs 
uh, adherents, the ones who are loyal to Warren Jeffs, are not allowed. Hilldale and Colorado City, and they're not allowed to have outside radio, television, internet, um, or any of that information. So whether or not they were uh, had access to any weather reports, um, they they absolutely prohibit this the outside communication. Of course. There's always consequences when uh, when information is controlled, and we do hope that this catastrophe will show the leaders that it's important yeah. for you to consider uh, stopping withholding this information from its members. It ultimately hurts, and we also want to mention n- that not only Utah, and I think this is amazing, but the surrounding states, the surrounding towns, Utah, the nation, and even internationally, uh, help and concern has been offered to the polygamists oh, yeah, in Hildale. Remarkable. It, it has been yeah. great the way it's just been pouring in. And so we pray that when the people, the residents in these towns, see the love and the care, the concern, and the prayers that are being sent their way from all around the world, that they'll realize they've been lied to because they've been taught from the cradle that everybody outside of their group is evil. They might find out they're normal. <laughs> and they might find out that they're experiencing the love and care. Yeah. And so they might think, well, maybe they're not so hateful and so evil after all. Yeah. And of course, <clears throat> we also pray that God will reveal the power of his love to them <laughs> through this disaster somehow. And we know God can do that. Yes, he can. Well, our show tonight is going to be talking about some more current events in Mormon polygamy. And we're going to start with an incident that happened in Provo, Utah recently. <clears throat> a teacher, a Provo high school teacher by the name of Donald Nelson Bills, was recently sentenced to a minimum of eight years, <clears throat> excuse me, and up to life in prison for what the judge called a calculated effort to groom and sexually abuse a teenage girl. Now, the victim was 16 years old when the abuse began, and it became sexual after she turned 17 years old, and she's now 19 years old. She said that this teacher used his local leadership role in the LDS church to justify his abuse and to dismiss her fears, and he made threats of humiliation to keep her quiet. Now, the teacher used his experience of serving in a Mormon bishopric to convince the girl that their behavior was not inappropriate. This is what she said. Yeah, she said, he used religion to win my trust, and then he used it against me. That's typical. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty typical of any abuser, actually. She described the advances from the teacher that they seemed odd, but they weren't threatening at first. But then his advances intensified. Yeah, and she said also over and over he told me he had no, that he had no choice, that he was overcome by his feelings for her. Well, those uh, words, feelings, huh? Yeah, those feelings again. She she said he had no choice, yeah. but he took away her her yeah. her choice. So she didn't have a choice, no, but and, he did. And she she said further. He told me over and over again it was my fault. I was in such a dark place. I remained silent, so the only person who would get hurt was me. Okay, so there's the silence factor. And then we we want to explain to you what 4th District Judge James Taylor said about this. Yeah. His crimes were particularly heinous, considering the efforts he took to groom the girl and the special position of trust he held. 
It harms all of the other teachers who take what they do really seriously. He took advantage of his trusted position to lead the victim into positions she was not mature enough to manage. It was a calculated effort to groom and sexually abuse a teenage girl. So the judge says it was a calculated effort. Now in July, uh, this man pleaded guilty to five felony charges and 10 of them, or 10 others were dismissed. 10 additional counts, so that's a total wow. of 15. And so he was sentenced, like I said, to eight years in prison minimum. Now since these allegations were made public, guess who's been harassed? She has been. Now, she's been victimized all over again because of this man. She's been harassed. Her car has been vandalized and egged because she got someone important from the bishopric in trouble. And most of this information that we got, by the way, was from an article in the Salt Lake Tribune and also KSL News. Now, we've done several shows recently on sexual abuse and Mormonism, both LDS and fundamentalist Mormons. This is just another incident, uh, a very recent incident where the female is victimized by the male using his Mormon male authority over her to get his way. Now, when I first heard this story, a certain parallel came to mind, and it wasn't just me, because as I looked into different comments about this incident, many other people who know Mormon polygamy history also saw the same parallels, so we're going to share them with you. <laughs> now, the remarks of the judge in this teacher's case can be appropriately applied to Joseph Smith. Listen to what the judge said again. Yeah, let me repeat. He took advantage of his trusted position to lead the victim into positions she was not mature enough to manage. It was a calculated effort to groom and sexually abuse a teenage girl. Okay, now we're going to apply this to the leader of, the, of, 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 the, of Mormonism. This girl was 16 years old when the teacher took advantage of her. Joseph Smith also took advantage of 16-year-old girls. In fact, he took advantage of several teenaged girls. Let's look at all the teenaged girls that Joseph Smith took advantage of and their ages. Now we start with a little list here. Fanny Alger, 16 years old. Sarah Ann Whitney at 17 years old. Flora Ann Woodworth, 16. Lucy Walker, 17. Sarah Lawrence, 17. Her sister, Mariah Lawrence, 19, Helen Mark Kimball, 14, I think this is the one that's almost 15, <laughs> Melissa Lott, 19, and Nancy Winchester, also 14 years old, and okay. these were young girls. These, and in those days, young 14 then is like 10 years old now. It yeah. was just so much different then. Yeah. And so the question is, why would the crime that this teacher in Provo is being sent to prison for be any more criminal than what Joseph Smith did? And with Joseph Smith, the crime is multiplied many times over. He was the leader yeah. of the entire church. This man wasn't the leader of the church, nor was he a prophet. Joseph Smith claimed to be both. He used his influence in that capacity to lure those teenage girls into polygamous marriages with him, promising them eternal life and the eternal life of their families if they would agree to these illegal polygamous marriages. Helen Mark Kimball wrote about what happened when at the age of 14 she was approached by Joseph Smith. This is taken from Todd Compton's book in Sacred Loneliness. He explained the principle of celestial marriage, after which he said to me, if you will take this step, it will ensure your eternal salvation and exaltation and that of your father's household and all of your kindred. 
This promise was so great that I willingly gave myself to purchase so glorious a reward. So look what he promised her. If he, if she would become a plural wife and a bed partner. By the way, these are bed partners too. And, and in fact, Helen Mar Kimball later wrote this. This is also from the same book. I had in hours of temptation when seeing the trials of my mother felt to rebel. I hated polygamy in my heart. You know, sometimes we hear these people saying the pro-polygamy, oh, they loved it, they, you know, yeah. they thought it was a wonderful thing. Well, you know, if you get digging right into the history, we find out they didn't love it. Uh, Helen eventually succumbed to the false doctrine of polygamy through brainwashing and false promises and the false teachings of the entire Mormon male patriarchal priesthood. From In Sacred Loneliness, page 510, we read this. Her central sin, she felt, was a profoundly rebellious opposition to polygamy that she held in her heart of hearts. Her own marriage to Joseph Smith had caused her to loathe this key celestial principle, Joseph Smith's highest revelation. Okay, so she admitted she hated it, but that she was finally coerced or convinced yeah. into it. Yeah, it's just, it's just a, so it's such a sad story, and one of 33 stories yeah. of Joseph and Smith. And I'm sure she felt just locked into, like you said, mm -hmm. you go to hell if you don't live it. Yeah. And her family would be ostracized certainly if she ever fought against it or rebelled Absolutely. against it openly. Absolutely, and and he placed the, the eternity of her family in her hands yes. by saying that. Now, did you notice in this that that the polygamy revelation is called his highest revelation? Yeah. Did you ever learn that when you were in the church? Well, this was our whole purpose of going to the temple, being married, the promises that we had that we would be gods and that we would be married for time and all eternity. This was a and, and that we would be blessed with many wives, and that was our eternal future. So that's future. The, the highest revelation of Joseph Smith is polygamy. Uh, we learned that in yeah, a polygamy yeah. group, but I don't know if that's what the Mormons taught. Well, that's the purpose of temples. I, uh, you know, not, not necessarily polygamy marriages, but the idea of having families forever. Forever and, and ever, huh? And that included multiple wives. Well, you know, uh, it's a horrible legacy, I think, to yeah. be to leave behind that the greatest thing that he came up with was polygamy. Was polygamy. Yeah, and yeah. and again, it tells us um, the fruits <laughs> of of uh, false prophets. Orson Whitney, who was the son of Helen Mar Kimball, wrote about Joseph Smith's coercion to get Heber C. Kimball, Helen's father, into a polygamous frame of mind. This is what he said. Heber was told by Joseph that, he, it, that if he did not do this, he would lose his apostleship and be damned. And so, as so often, Joseph Smith taught polygamy as a requirement, and to reject it was to lose one's eternal soul. Once one had accepted him as a prophet, one had to comply or accept damnation. Heber was hesitant and deeply troubled, but nevertheless married his first plural wife in early 1842 without telling Violet. And Valet was his Valet. first wife, his legal wife. So here he took a wife without her knowledge. Sounds like Joseph Smith and Emma Smith. Which, didn't which it? is against <laughs> Section 132, anyway. So, yes. anyway, Joseph Smith's coercion to trap people into polygamy became quite creative. People today get thrown into prison for patterning themselves after his lifestyle, yet he's praised despite his crimes. So, why is Joseph Smith exalted and they're condemned? Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, and instead, uh, and we, in fact, we can say beware of Joseph Smith yeah. and his false teachings because the fruit of his false 
uh, prophecies is manifest over and over again as we see in the polygamous culture and the number of his victims continue to rise as we yeah. see in this thing. Well, another update we have is about Nathan Collier. Immediately after the Supreme Court's decision regarding gay marriage, polygamist Nathan Collier, who lives in Billings, Montana, went to the Yellowstone County Courthouse to obtain a marriage license for himself and his second wife. He's got two wives. Now, Collier's first wife, Victoria, had, he had been legally married since the year 2000. And, of course, marrying his second wife legally or with a license wouldn't make him a bigamist. Yeah. But Collier said that they wanted to make their relationships legitimate. He said that they break the law every day just to exist as a family, and they're tired of it. But... When they got married, polygamy was against the law, and they knew it. They could choose to obey the law or suffer the consequences. We live in some weird times <laughs> where the lawbreaker believes that he has the right That's to right. sue the government to legalize his crimes. The Collier family argues that the Supreme Court's decision to legalize gay marriage should give their polygamous relationship legal status and recognition as well. His reasoning is in reference to Chief Justice John Roberts, who argued about giving same-sex couples the right to marry when he said this. It would apply with equal force to the claim of a fundamental, fundamental right to plural marriage. Okay, that's what he said. Part of his opinion, That was I guess, part of his the, opinion the, on, the, yeah, on no. the gay marriage issue. In the year 2000, Collier legally married Victoria, and then he married Christine in a religious ceremony. Later, Christine broke up their religious marriage and then legally married someone else, but they got divorced in 2006, and then in 2007, Collier and Christine married again in another religious ceremony, not a legal one. Now, they want their marriage to be legitimate. <laughs> Collier said this. We feel entitled for a legal legitimacy, and to deny this is a violation of our civil rights. We feel the marriage equality law applies to us. So Collier says all he wants to do is to be legally recognized well, and not live in fear They've anymore. redefined the definition of a marriage not, be, not being necessarily between one man and one woman. That's what they've yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's, he's writing on the back of that. Now, he says, Collier says he wants to, all he wants to do is be legally recognized and not live in fear of anyone. But you know what? That's not a true statement because polygamy has not been persecuted in a court of law for decades. Now, other crimes that polygamists have committed in polygamy has been, but polygamy itself has not been. So Collier cannot claim fear of the law for his reasoning to get a marriage license for fear of being prosecuted for living polygamy. Collier said this. Ours is a happy, functional, loving family. I'm not trying to redefine marriage. I'm not forcing anyone to believe in polygamy. We're only defining marriage for us. We just want legitimacy. My second wife, Christine, deserves legitimacy. Now, Collier claims he's a former Mormon yeah. who was excommunicated for practicing polygamy, and now he has no religious affiliation. Mm. So, Collier breaks his own church religious laws by living polygamy, as well as the laws of his state, the laws of his country, and expects legitimacy. He knew before he made these choices that he was choosing an illegal lifestyle, and now he wants legitimacy. Well, he needs to start obeying the laws of the land that he lives in. This is what Collier's, part of what Collier's lawsuit says. State laws that forbid a man from marrying more than one woman denies them their constitutionality 
constitutionally guaranteed rights to equal protection, due process, free speech, freedom of religion, and freedom of association. So he said that he wants a judge to prevent the state from enforcing the laws against consenting men and women in plural relationships. The Collier family was denied the marriage license. And we got much of this information from an article in USA Today. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, always takes us to Cody Brown because he's involved in these yeah. lawsuits as well. Sure. Uh, not Collier's lawsuit, but a separate one for the same thing. Cody and his wives are also working to break down the laws against polygamy. They filed documents with the Court of Appeals arguing that the government has no right to interfere with adult relationships that are consensual. In 2013, as a result of the Browns' lawsuit, a federal judge struck down the cohabitation part of Utah's laws against polygamy. But polygamy is still illegal. <laughs> Utah's attorney general has filed an appeal against this decision, arguing that the laws against polygamy protects women and children from abuse. The Browns are threatening to take their lawsuit all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. The Browns' attorney, Jonathan Turley, said this about the lawsuit. From the very outset of the case, the Brown family maintained that it was not challenging the right of any state to criminalize bigamy or the possession of multiple state marriage licenses by individuals. The Browns also consistently asserted that they were not arguing for the state recognition of plural marriage. So just what they want to do is decriminalize polygamy, I guess so. take the teeth out of it yeah. so they can just do whatever they want under the radar. Consensual adults. One of the most discouraging aspects of the Browns, however, about their court challenge is that they are disputing the state's assertion that plural marriage harms the members of polygamous societies, and that breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. how, how can they dispute that the harms of polygamy? Haven't they read the news? They're in polygamy. They have family in polygamy in these groups. They've seen the abuses that have taken place and heard of it, seen the testimonies. I don't understand how they can dispute that. The Utah Attorney General's Office and the Browns have requested arguments before the Tenth Circuit Court in, the, in uh, Denver, and it may take place or begin before the end of the year. There's no, been, not been a date set. Well, so It's very precedent setting, setting though to change the definition of marriage mm -hmm. and and it does seem like we, we live in weird times mm -hmm. where we do. We <laughs> live be in a, willing, people, everybody's civil rights are to be honored and but, but they're claiming civil rights for things that uh, yeah. were originally, when the country was first established and all of our amendments and Bill of Rights and all yeah. that, it doesn't cover all that. But I think you're right, too, about the abuse, both of women and the neglect and then also the, uh, the children. Mm -hmm. We just know yeah. from many testimonies, yeah. <laughs> stories and, about the And abuse. we're going to do some future shows on yeah. some of the studies done on the harms and polygamy. Yeah. So anyway, it's interesting to see how this all turns yeah. out. Yeah. Recently, we aired a three-part interview series with Vicki Anderson and the abuse that she suffered by her LDS priesthood father from the time she was a very small child. We've had some very good comments about this interview and some shocked people who had no idea that this kind of stuff is going on in the Mormon culture that is supposed to be so picture-perfect. Yet this sort of thing is under the layer of veneer all through the Mormon culture, the LDS as well as the fundamentalists. We're grateful that people are watching and responding to these stories of horrific abuse. Remaining silent 
only allows abusers to continue to abuse unhindered. But speaking up like Vicki did, of which we're very grateful, although it was painful for her and sometimes embarrassing, it reveals the problem and it helps to heal the victims as well as bringing the abuse out from under the covers of darkness and secrecy and into the light of truth. And again, we want to thank Vicki for having the courage to tell her story of abuse and how she's overcome it. And for anyone who may not have seen those uh, the three-part series, you can go to our website, What TV, and all three of her interviews are posted there. So, um, when uh, a question, maybe we can take a couple of minutes to discuss. Um, when you were now, I know you were in the bishop. You were a bishop. Right. Were did you come across? Did did things like this come across your desk when you were working with people? The the abuse, like. And the and the, uh, the hush hush. Yeah, a couple of things, and and it was hush hush, and the, and both were reluctant to make it public or to talk about. I mean, obviously make it public, but to discuss it, it was very awkward. There were just a couple of situations. They weren't as serious, certainly, as some of these that, that you've brought forward, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, it's very awkward, and you know, you're sitting there as a religious leader and supposed to be inspired by God to give counsel, and mm -hmm. and yet you can tell that they need much more help than you're able to provide for them because I'm a lay, yeah. I'm an accountant, yeah. you know, yeah. other than you're... the spirit of God that I expected to and I prayed for and fasted for, but yeah, it was very difficult. So when you got cases like that um, and stories like that, did you call the police or counselors to come in and help them? How did well, you deal they, with it? Well, they weren't that... No. Well, there were... Yes, we did have some LDS social services that we, could, we, that we referred to, but no, none of them involved police at that point. Was they it, weren't that serious. Was would, it more recommended to hush-hush, not to... Well, that's part of it. I think we waves. even had one that, uh, several that were grandfather was involved in some improprieties with young, with his young grandchildren, and uh, the family was adamant. And I don't know really what happened with that. I was only in the bishopric at the time. I didn't mm -hmm. really handle it from a bishop yeah, standpoint. Okay. But... Um, hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's very much to be kept on the quiet. <laughs> and it's so, it's it's so hard on the children, the child, or the person who's been abused when when they can't talk about it and they can't deal oh, with it. They're in fear. I, I, yeah. yeah, and, and I know when, with, it, when it's brought up, then it's not even believed. Mm -hmm. Often. Often, yeah, and and the and especially the girl, the, she's victimized over and over yeah, again. Well, like and the male our, our first story was yeah. a, this girl is victimized by telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's and, what happens. And they, so she suffers twice. They don't <laughs> they don't believe that's true. Yeah. Okay, well thank you Earl. This is uh, yeah, this was very a, interesting. <laughs> interesting things. Uh, we want to point out uh, as we cl in closing our comments that false religions and false doctrine is not contentious criticism when we bring them out, but instead it's telling the truth. And the truth is that polygamy is not God's way to heaven. God tells us to speak the truth in love, the point being that the truth is to be spoken, and we are supposed to use the Bible as our standard for truth, according to Isaiah 8.20, and we are commanded to expose religious error.
Those who use the Bible to expose religious error are acting Christ-like. They are following the examples of, um, of faithful prophets and apostles, and they are following the examples of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is the truth, and he never taught polygamy, but he confirmed that monogamy was God's original and only plan. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Polygamy is not. See you next time on Polygamy, What Love Is This? This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.